Watching someone suffer from a mental health crisis can be extremely difficult, but we need to give hope and we also want to provide some tips for people that are watching somebody struggle or that have struggled with mental health disorders. Hello, Thinking Christians. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. If you're somebody that is interested in how the Christian worldview works and being able to defend that and deepen your Christian faith, you're in the right place. We would love for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash oneminuteapologist. And also you can find mental health crash courses on our website, oneminuteapologist.com. Today, we have some special guests with us as we continue our series uh, in May of Mental Health Month month, we have Heather Conway and Dawson Conway joining us. So this is one of the episodes that we have, uh, I've been really excited about. And we're going to be talking about uh, just how to maybe pick up and help somebody that is going through uh, some sort of mental health, a serious mental health struggle, maybe what that looks like. And I thought it would be great since we all have uh, some level or varying levels of experience uh, with mental health struggles in our life to start by just going around and just kind of being vulnerable and talking a little bit about what that looked like in our life. And then that will hopefully set the stage for um, being able to help uh, other people notice what some of those are and then be able to help create boundaries and, and what sort of things that uh, we can do to help other people that are in that situation. So I don't know, Dawson, do you want to start us off and just talk a little bit about your story and, and outline some of that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm an emotional wreck, uh, basically. No, um, I feel like when I first noticed mental health had a uh, foothold in, in my life, it was probably sophomore year of high school. Um, I was feeling emotions on just extreme levels. And those emotions really prevented me from being able to feel um, at peace, really prevented me from being able to uh, really share deep connections with people. Mm. And that resulted in me feeling alienated. I felt like different. Um, I also grew up in, in a setting at times where where <clears throat> my family was always good about being vulnerable with your emotions, but oftentimes in, in school settings, we're afraid to be authentic about our emotional health. And that was where I, I, I felt a lot of those pressures at times. Um, and, and I was on medication for a season of my life because I, I realized that I'm pretty helpless right now. Mm. Um, and so I, I reached out and then we, we got me medicated. Um, I personally didn't notice a huge, huge difference with medication. I know everyone's testimony is different. I personally didn't notice a huge um, difference with it. Um, but it was mostly, like we talked about in earlier episodes, um, the the skills that helped benefit me. Yeah. Uh, practicing these skills, like we mentioned, mm -hmm. to rewire the brain chemistry naturally. Um, mental health still creeps into my life at times. Um, and when it does... It's, it's important to be in what's called a, a super conscious state so that you have control over your thoughts. Take every thought captive mm -hmm. so that when a thought that is intrusive comes into your mind, you don't let it um, grow because once it grows, it kind of just hijacks your brain and mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the pilot. So yeah. when a thought comes in your mind that is negative um, or there's a negative emotion and you know it's, 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 it's a thought that can lead to self-destructive tendencies, mm -hmm. if you're in a super conscious state, you can catch it. Because your brain knows who's in control, yeah. right? So that's what's personally helped me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's good. Heather, you want to share a little bit about what, what happened in your life? Yeah, so... Yeah, where do you begin? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> How long is this episode? <laughs> um, no, seriously, I mean, it's multi-layered for me, right? So 
So I have anxiety myself. I struggle with anxiety. I'm in a heightened sense of anxiety Mm -hmm. season, even as we do this uh, episode. I just struggle with it. So I, like Dawson, have to have coping mechanisms. And I've also been on the caretaker side where I've, I've seen it with my husband and my son and even my daughter. And, you know, it's it can be all-consuming. And people tend to think, oh, if you have a mental health issue that you're weak, yeah. something's wrong with you. And I want to just challenge that and say, actually, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and resilience to even just show up in life. Because mm. if you don't have a mental health issue, you're just showing up. If I have anxiety, I still got to show up. So yeah. to me, that's showing courageousness and mm. resilience. And I know for me personally, it was so hard for many, many years to just still do what I was required to do just to live, whether that's to get groceries, cook a dinner, you know, try to be a good mom, be a good wife and all the things. So it's multi-layered when it comes to that. So if you're out there and you're struggling, just know that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be vulnerable in that mm-hmm. and give yourself a little bit more credit mm-hmm. um, because it takes a lot of courage to show up when you're struggling with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Bobby, you want to share a little bit about some of your struggles? Yeah. I mean, I think that my story, Tim, I recognized at some point in maybe junior high, Okay. I started isolating from my folks and uh, being overcome with anxieties that were really strong. My hands were sweaty. Uh, I would be nervous unnecessarily. So, um, and we didn't really talk in our family about mm-hmm. like emotions and stuff. So I didn't have a language for what I was feeling. Yeah. I just felt kind of like all this emotion. So what I did is at the age of fifteen, um, you know, my therapy became. Uh, you know, alcohol and drugs, because that felt like that was kind of meeting some of what I was going through to help me. And um, not having language, not knowing even what anxiety is, uh, clearly my issues was ADD in school. Um, and I had anxiety because I was always behind on my every, every paper. I was always behind, 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 forgetting things, forgetting things, yeah. always in trouble. And at that age, uh, you looked like the, rebe- the rebel yeah. because you didn't have language yeah. for ADD. So no language. You, then it was just creating all these insecurities in me, identity issues. Uh, and then it began, be, became an alcoholic. It was in mm-hmm. AA by 21 years of age, um, trying to anesthetize this thing, uh, you know, playing with lots of other drugs as well along the way. And then depression kicked in for the first time uh, in my 40s, early 40s. I'd never experienced depression. Yeah. So ADD, anxiety, addiction were my big things. And then depression came in. And when depression came in, uh, it was like, you know, turning back to addiction and anxiety, and it was all back again. So, I mean, I've wrestled through a ton of this stuff, mm. um, all the way to being in bad loops as it relates to praying for airplanes as they fly over our house and getting OCD <laughs> about it, praying for their safety, and then feeling like I can't just enjoy being outside because every plane that flies over my head, I'm having to stop and pray. Right. And then and then the prayer keeps getting longer and longer and longer. And then when I'm not praying for the plane safety, then I feel like they're going to die. Yeah. So yeah, yeah those kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> 
Tim, you know, you need to laugh. Have a good time. T- t- Tim's, Tim's a facilitator. He's, he's in I that know, facilitator like, mode. Yeah. Going, <laughs> right. right. No, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. I appreciate the, the backstory. Um, I think for me, I was on staff at a church. This was probably 2007, and it was just a really difficult environment. So it was mm-hmm. for me, I, was, I had some situational depression for a while, and there was times when, there's probably a good year and a half when uh, we did Saturday evening service at that church, and I would get through rehearsal in the afternoon, get through Saturday evening service, and then basically go home and have such a bad migraine that I would throw up, pass out, and then basically get up the next morning and do it again. And that went on for probably six to seven months before... um, my amazing wife said, there, there might be something else going on. And I ended up talking uh, to a counselor and ended up getting on some depression medication for a while. And when I was removed from that situation, I wasn't willingly, I didn't willingly leave that situation. God removed me from that situation. Uh, things drastically improved uh, in my life. And I'd been trying to get out of that situation. I'd been trying to look for other positions and, and get into another role. And for whatever reason, I was just continued to be in that role. And so there was, there was lots of pressure. There was lots of micromanaging in that role. There was, mm-hmm. um, you know, the this what was supposed to happen, which seemed to change every single day. There was never a consistent standard of what I was trying to be, you know, what I was trying to do. And it seemed like it was just the whims of whoever the leadership was in the moment was, you know, was always going to be doing something wrong. And uh, so that was just very difficult for me. And then uh, kind of coming out of that uh, was in the position, which is one of the reasons that we're, you know, kind of talking about this today and on our specific topic is God put several people in my wife and I's life that were struggling with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like extreme addiction or uh, anorexia and and uh, borderline personality disorder. And we just kept looking at these situations and saying, man, how do we know the right thing to do in each one of these different situations? And so we'll kind of speak to some of that uh, as we continue to to go on. So I think one one of the important questions on kind of what to do, so you're, you're, uh, you know, in a position where you're seeing someone that's struggling, you know, their mental health is struggling. Dawson, w- talk to us a little bit about, from your perspective, uh, you know, what, what if we push too far with somebody that is in that? Or what if we don't go far enough? Mm-hmm. How should we kind of think about just how to approach somebody that we know is struggling mentally on how to help them? What, mm-hmm. what should we do? What are some of the first steps or signs that we should, mm-hmm. should, should go into when, when someone's struggling with that? Yeah, good question. I, I feel like um, there, there's... there's times where we can be passive and then there's times as you mentioned where we push too far mm. and so it, learning to navigate where that line is at is is crucial because you don't want to push people away right right um there's different personality types so everyone's going to be different yeah um people who are more reserved tend to shut down mm-hmm. so if if you're typically someone who's more reserved you're not a high feeler you kind of just vibe a little bit um when someone starts digging into you they're gonna feel like you're attacking them mm-hmm. it probably won't take more than a few questions for them to feel that and they're naturally <laughs> just gonna shut down and you mm-hmm. lost them so those people i think it's really important not to ask questions because they're gonna it's gonna feel like in their head it's like an interrogation mm-hmm. um yeah. so listening getting them to talk uh, let them letting them feel comfortable because their te- their natural tendency is is to be quiet. They don't want to talk. But what I realized from talking to people like this is once they do talk, they find healing. So I think it's important to 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 really just make them feel comfortable and safe around yes. you. Mm-hmm. And then you have people on the opposite end where their 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 natural tendency is to rebel if you push too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I. 
I can relate to this in, in, in some degree. When people, when, when I'm in an emotional crisis and, and I feel people are digging into me, um, it makes me build up resentment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially if there's not validation because like, they don't get me, they don't understand me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it does result ultimately in me being in like a victimhood mindset, um, which isn't healthy. So with people like that, really focus on the validation. So one people mm-hmm. it's like okay. listening mm-hmm. and the other people it's validation mm-hmm. and, 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 being calm, don't getting hijacked, and, and offering them, and encouraging them in a loving and here's a keyword here, gentle way. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good, Dawson. Yeah, Heather, Bobby, anything to add to that? Yeah, I just really like the way you said that because we have to remember when people are struggling with a mental health problem, they're usually looking for two things, right? That validation, they're looking for empathy, and they're looking to not be judged, mm-hmm. right? Because you're hijacked. Yeah. And so if <clears throat> if you automatically get judged, oh my goodness, what are you going to do? You're going to shut down that person's not safe, and then it just reinforces all the feelings you're having. So I think it's important to be able to know how to read people. I mean, that's somewhat of a skill, but just being that empathetic listener and and gauging where that person is Mm -hmm. so that they can feel safe with you and feel like you're not going to judge them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, again, there's lots that I I can add to this. Um, I think one of the things is I... I found the most success in actually talking to a counselor um, and just kind of describing what I thought this person was going through and then asking them how, how I can approach them. How can I be uh, part of their support system? So uh, just me describing kind of what was going on, this person gave me some really great insight on how to be able to relate to this person in a way that was going to be helpful and not mm-hmm. hurtful to them yes. um, You know, on, on several different occasions. And then the other way that I think it was helpful to have this conversation with this with a, a trained counselor professional um, about the situation that I was in was to be able to continue to be part of their support system. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's the other thing is that you never want to be kind of a lone wolf support system with somebody that is going to be no. uh, that's on the mental health journey. As, as best you can, you want to continue to try to bring in other people, whether that's church leaders, other friends, uh, you know, other professionals, uh, so you're not just the only person kind of hanging out there. Uh, Heather, did you want to say something? Well, I mean, goodness, my mind, I have so much to say right now just about the church at large, yeah. because the Christian church at large has done such a terrible job, just a miserable mm. job of being there for people in mental health crises, right? And so the church at large needs to do a better job when it comes to legalism. Mm. Yep. You know, we get so legalistic about things, especially around mental health. Like we've said this a million times Throwing a verse at someone and telling them to say a prayer is not really meeting them where they are. That's just making them feel judged and it shuts them down. Now, all healing starts with God and we need the Bible and we need the prayer always. But the church at large has done such a terrible job of that, at the judginess and the legalism. And so I know that is all of us sitting at at this table. We have a huge passion as it regards to the local church and bringing healing for people and um, assisting them on their journey. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Bobby and Heather, maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, boundaries, you know, what, what should boundaries look like? What are some things that you need to keep in mind when you're setting boundaries and trying to keep boundaries? Um, so just talk to us a little bit about boundaries there. Yeah. Well, I'm a big boundaries person. (laughs) I believe big in boundaries. And I just read an article and I don't know the, um, the writer of the article, but it's, it's called, um, secondhand smoke can still kill you. Mm. Okay, so think about that, right? Yeah. You may not be the smoker, 
But if you're around that person, you can still get lung cancer. Yeah. And the same goes to if you're living with someone with a chronic mental health issue. If they have depression or in Bobby's case, he, he when he w- had his relapse and he was going through um, recovery and trying to get clean. So I was the secondhand smoke person in that, right? And yeah. I, just to survive and cope and keep our family going needed to put my own boundaries in, right? I had to do some self-care. And I think it's critical that you put, it's going to be different for everyone, but what are your self-care things you're going to do? What are your non-negotiables? Like when I'm meeting with clients or if I'm counseling someone, I always say, okay, we have to have boundaries. They need to be healthy so that you're still part of the puzzle, healing. But like, what do you need to do to safeguard your own health so that you can still be there for them? Kind of like what you were saying to them. So what are your non-negotiables and put those in place and then do self-care to take care of yourself so that you don't fall off the wagon and get lung cancer too, so to speak. Yeah, Yeah, I do. I feel like in the situation where I have my relapse, um, Heather didn't abandon me, but she did put some boundaries up. Like, hey, you need to make sure that you go stay at your parents until you figure this thing out yeah. kind of a thing. Go to meetings. I had yeah. there's certain things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, going to AA meetings and stuff like that. So she put that in place. Um, but I think of the difference where in the church with the leadership, uh, which is ultimately, again, I never had to resign, but the I felt so unloved that I did resign yeah. because what I was told is, man, okay, you're going to need some shepherding through this. But instead, I was completely ignored, uh, not reached out to. Uh, and, you know, that part was painful to serve so many years in a church and to feel like these people, all they could think about was, you got to get these, you got, you, it was more on that true thing. We got to, what are we going to tell the church? What are you going to do? Like, hey, that's fine. We, I, I've never resisted. We, I want to share. Yeah. But there wasn't a consideration of my family and our soul and the pain we were going through. All they could think about was, you had a relapse, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 it was, and it was like no love and no relationship and no friend and not, man, you must be feeling a lot of shame to go almost 23 years without a drink. Let me put my arms around you. Let yeah. me pray with you. It, it wasn't that at all. It was quarantining, isolating, uh, not being there, not picking a phone up and doing the same thing to my wife and my kids. Mm. And so we just left very disillusioned from that and saw that that is one way that we would never want to handle somebody in the future. And so implanting Image Church is one of the reasons we're so passionate about mental health is we feel like we've seen, you know, we've done it wrong too at times, mm-hmm. but we have definitely seen the church drop balls and the church has got to learn how to better love people. Uh, and you can love people without compromise. Like I would have been the first to say, like, I shouldn't have had the relapse, but right. it happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and again, there's there's so many different areas that we could go. Um, Dawson, I want to bring you in here uh, a little bit. Just again, there's several different mental health issues. Each one of them is different. Each person that has a mental health issue uh, can react to some things that are different. So this is again, we're kind of just talking maybe broad brushstrokes. But what are some of the things that you could offer as possible treatments? Just kind of maybe give a little bit of a list, whether that is you know medication or going to counseling, or mm-hmm. j- just kind of overview some of the things that you think uh, might be on the docket of what might might help people. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, there's 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 several different um, ways to heal and and and, and 
help yourself with mental health, obviously counseling, medication. Mm-hmm. I think an important one is, is community, yes. relationships. Excellent. Um, lots of studies have shown that relationships, fulfilling relationships, is the number one contributing factor to, to yeah. joy. And a lot of people don't get to fully mm. experience joy. I tell my dad this, just because you're, you're getting by doesn't mean you're living, That's right. right? And oftentimes people think, oh, well, I'm, I'm able to cope with my emotions. I just made it through a day. I'm, I'm joyful. That's mm-hmm. not joy. Joy is, is supposed to be the, the, the strongest of emotions. Mm-hmm. And if you're experiencing disgust, depression, anger, uh, more on higher levels than you've ever experienced joy, then that's when you need to reevaluate your life a little bit and just think like, what do I need to put in place here? Um, we talked about lockdowns. There was a lack of community there. Um, Heck, people yeah. want to have fellowship with one another. I and mean, we're told at the very beginning of the Bible, it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah. Um, the church... That's what the church is for, so that we can, like-minded people can grow together um, and grow spiritually together. I think that that is going to be um, essential moving forward as, as, as the mm. body of Christ. And just for people, even, not on, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're just a human, having community is huge to yeah. your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Healing is a journey, right? Yeah. And in our mental health crash course we did, we kind of laid out like a a formula, so to speak. It's not that easy. It's not a one, two, three, and you're healed. But we do talk about, you know, grace plus truth plus time equals healing. So it always starts with knowing who you are in Christ, Mm -hmm. knowing your true ID in him, right? And then you got to get honest, the truth. How did I get here? Yeah. Right? Did I make some mistakes? Did I have a relapse? Am I contributing some self-inflicted things into Mm -hmm. my body? You know, there's, we have to get honest sometimes or maybe things were inflicted on you traumas divorces wayward kids all these things contribute but you have to get honest and reveal that so that you can get to that healing part and it takes time it's not like a okay i'm a christian i've done i've gotten to the truth of it and now i'm healed no it's a journey and it takes time to heal for real yeah Yeah, that that brought up um, an idea back to jim wilder there's this thing he says um identity plus belonging equals transformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, yeah. I would argue that if your identity is found in belonging, then it won't. But if, if yes. your identi- identity plus belonging means transformation. So if you are at a church that is judgmental, then you're not going to feel like you belong. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and the grace of God isn't just for... The grace of God should be for the, for the pastors there. Um, it's for everyone. Right, 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 and, and and you need to understand that, that you belong there. And I feel like yeah. once you really feel that those barriers come down, you feel like, wow, like, Mm -hmm. like they love me despite all my flaws. This is fantastic. I belong here. That's when you're transformed. That's when the gospel, you know, you're transformed by the spirit in your mind. That's when it takes, works wonders in your life. Once you realize that despite all your flaws, you're accepted. Mm -hmm. And somehow along the way, we've lost that model. And that is the gospel 101 right there. We've lost that model as a Mm -hmm. church. And we have to get back to that. Especially when I look at my generation, they feel so judged when they walk into those doors Mm -hmm. at times. Um, And I, that's where my heart is, honestly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good. yeah, definitely. Well, and I know that, like, I mean, there can be some really difficult uh, just circumstances that one might find themselves in as they're part of that kind of community, as they're part of that circle when these mental health issues arise. I mean, I remember there's several times that my wife and I were up late with people that were, again, contemplating suicide or that were, you know, um, acknowledging that they had a, you know, significant drinking problem or that they were anorexic or, you know, and, and kind of wondering what then do we do? Uh, what steps do we take? And uh, there have been times was sitting with other people that we had to take people to the hospital because we were afraid that they were a danger to themselves or to others. And that's a really difficult position to find yourselves in. Again, not minimizing the difficult spot that they were in, but just as being like, 
do we take them to the hospital? Like, are they going to be okay in this moment if mm-hmm. we just let them go? Like, yes. at what point do we set a boundary and walk away right. from them? You know, so there was, you know, that it can be very difficult to mm-hmm. kind of go through that mental process on your own as you're trying to be part of someone's support team uh, to, to be able to help them. Bobby, did you want to say something there? No, I think I think what you're saying is really good. I mean, there's moments where if somebody is the person who struggles with mental health, um, you can't underestimate what kind of pain that causes people around you as well. Yeah. Because what can happen is, is we can get so focused on our own mental health that we just want people to, to be with us and, and, and be, understand our pain and understand, but we don't realize how much pain it causes other people around yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I reflect on my own life and think about some of the journey as it relates to even my time as a pastor, uh, there were times it had to be hard on those leaders around me because I did have some up and down seasons, and I'm so thankful to be in a place right now where I feel so much of God's grace and mercy. Uh, but man, uh, it's one day at a time, and we can't miss out on all those that do try to help us. Yeah, yeah. Heather, did you want to add something to that? No, I mean, other than just you know, going back to the boundaries talk. You know, I yeah. think it's important if you are helping someone, like you were just talking about, Tim. You got to know your own uh, bandwidth. Right, yeah. Your emotional bandwidth is very important because yeah. some people have a higher bandwidth than others. I have a very high bandwidth to deal with people's trauma, but don't ask me to do administration. I'm going to crash on you, <laughs> right? I, I know thyself, so I just think it's important to know your threshold, know your bandwidth, so that you have proper self care and those things as you're helping and assisting others. Excellent. Well, as we wrap up this episode, I do want to remind our listeners that the Conways do have a mental health crash course, as Heather said. We have several other episodes where we've talked about this. If this is something that you feel like you're passionate about or that you want to continue to get education on, we have some resources for you. So with that, we will meet you on the next episode of The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.